Jesus, we glorify you. Be glorified in this place. Be honored, be exalted, be magnified. May everything said this morning bless you. May it be of you and through you that it may minister grace to the hearer. That we would be presented complete in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have a Bible with you. Would you open that Bible? And then open it to the book of Titus. Titus is a wonderful book um, in many areas it's a, but it's a small book but it's good as you could probably deduce pretty quickly it's a letter to a man named Titus young man who gets stuck in uh, one of the lousiest cities Crete island really and uh, it's lousy because you know <laughs> Cretans are just kind of not the not the best congregation members. They're not like the other Greeks that you know. <laughs> Mentioning them in the same sentence seems to have brought disdain. It's funny, in, 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 in Titus 1.12, he says, Titus, who's a young pastor, he goes, um, one of their own poets has said, that a prophet of their own has said, Cretans are always liars, always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And you expect them to say, this isn't true. These are just rumors. And he goes, this is true. <laughs> Apostle Paul, you're supposed to be nice to us. <laughs> I thought you loved us. I do. That's why I tell you it's true. Therefore, reprove them soundly, he says. <laughs> you reprove them soundly, they won't be that way anymore. That's why sometimes you don't, you don't always need a preacher that, that tells you what you want to hear. You want a preacher that, will, that wants you to grow, that loves you. You want a pastor that loves you and does not just love your applause. Because if a pastor loves your applause, they'll say what you want to hear. If a pastor loves you, they'll say what you need to hear. So he says, reprove them soundly because they are liars and beasts and gluttons. <laughs> but if you reprove them soundly, they're going to change. Teach them in the Word. Teach them who they are in Christ. They won't be like this anymore. <laughs> so here's where he's stuck. In Crete, amongst these liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. Lazy gluttons, that is. So, um, of course, you know, I, I, I say that. And he's among them, but I don't believe the church in Crete was classified this way. I believe that's how they started. I believe that's how the, the society, that's where the culture was at. And you realize our culture is not that different. Our culture encourages lying. Our culture, I mean, guys, what do you ask people? If, if you won the lottery, what would you do? What would they do? They'd all, they'd quit their jobs. They'd do nothing. That's just what they tell you, right? How is that not lazy? We're just not lazy because we can't afford to be lazy. <laughs> it's too cold to be lazy here. <laughs> In Crete, you'd be all right. You don't need much. Here, you need some money because you'll freeze and die. So... Our culture encourages lying. We've institutionalized it, called it good business. Now, as far as the evil beasts, you can figure out what that means. But 
Our culture is not that different. We've been saved from our culture, brought out of darkness into light. So I refuse to believe the church in Crete stayed this way. This is what they came out of. Just like you are no longer liars. Just like you are no longer greedy. Just like you are no longer lazy. You've been brought out. Taken out. Given a new nature, right? So let's see what he says to Titus in chapter 2. But as for you, Pastor Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Praise the Lord. Old men aren't supposed to be put out to pasture and you had your chance, now you're done. No, no, no. They're a valuable, vital part of the church. They're meant to be dignified, temperate, sensible, sound in faith, which means they're not going to be shaken by rumors. They're not going to be shaken by some foreign teaching. They are going to know who they are in Christ and they're sound in faith, they're sound in love and perseverance. They don't give up easily. This is old men. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. In other words, the world's watching. What are you doing? Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. So you think, well, I mean, it's easy to, to, if you were a Pharisee, it would be easy to just extract some of this and apply it to the people you think need to hear it. But nobody's left out of this. He said, old men, old women, young men, young women. Everybody gets something here. Everybody needs to listen to the word. He says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified. Listen to this. All things, in everything, everything you do. Now, we think that church is a category and then life is a category. No, 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 no. Church is, now, we're not talking about church. We're talking about being a Christian. We're talking about being a believer and being the church, not going to church, being the church. Being a believer is meant to work its way in every part of your life. He says, in all things. Everything you do should show yourself to be an example. Everything. Whether you're at Disneyland, at work, or at Arby's, Everything you do shows yourself an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, which means what you believe is pure word of God truth. It is the pure stuff. You're not just believing what feels good. You're believing what the word of God. And when you believe the word of God, I know it starts to really feel good because the word of God is good. Dignified. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Listen, everybody is meant to be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, which means that your speech is controlled, that your tongue is controlled, and it speaks things that are not just the first thing that comes to your head or what everyone else is saying or influenced by what's on TV or what's in the music. It says that your speech is supposed to be beyond reproach, which means people can't take your words and say see I told you they weren't a real believer 
I told you Christians are hypocrites. I told you all these. No, no, no. Your speech is so valuable. He says, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. I forgot who said it. There was a, a famous quote where someone said, live in such a way that if people, when people talk bad about you, no one will believe them. People will slander you. People will lie about you. That's, that's a given. We talked about that last Wednesday. That will happen. But live in such a way that, that people who've, who've seen your life and been around you long enough wouldn't believe it for a second because of who you are. Having nothing bad to say about us. Now listen to this. It says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. Wait a second. This is the same Apostle Paul. This is the same Holy Spirit that said in Colossians 3 that there's no difference between a slave and a free man, that in Christ they're all equals. So why is he telling a slave to be subject to his master? Well, you've got to remember, this is the same gospel that said, we have an emperor that's trying to kill us and torture us, yet honor him. Just because you display an attitude doesn't mean the person you're displaying it to is right. Honor is about you, not about them. Honor shows who you are, not who they are. You show honor. When you show honor, you show yourself to be an honorable person. And he's saying, listen, guys. Jesus came to set you free, to make you equal, to, to bring you up, seat you in heavenly places. But listen, he didn't come so that you guys would have a slave revolt that's going to get a bunch of you killed and it's going to damage. Here's what you do. Now, this is a hard thing because he's, this is a God that's against slavery. And I can give you several scriptures to show he is. You can say, well, he allowed it. No, 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 no. There are several scriptures that show very clearly that this was not God's plan. That in him, men were meant to be equal. He's no respecter of persons. So, he's not for slavery. He's actually against slavery. But what happens if you're a slave that gets born again? Does he tell you to go sneak up behind your master and kill him, slit his throat and run away? Because that's the only way you're getting out of it. Or do you do what Jesus would do? Take the circumstances and overcome. Say, oh, is that all you got? I'm going to overcome through all of this. I overcome your evil with my good. I overcome. Here's how you overcome. You get born again. And here's how you turn the tables. Because here's what a slave does. A slave works because he has to work. But a believer, here's, here's the instruction given to believing slaves. In another place he says, serve them as, you, as if you're serving Christ. In other words, instead of getting by with a bare minimum like you did when you were a slave, do it as if you're getting paid beyond your imagination. Do it for Jesus. Can you imagine being a master and all of a sudden your slave begins to work so well for you, do things you never told him or asked him to do, and he looks like he's got a fire under his feet. He's just doing all this stuff with a smile on his face, happily serving you. We would wonder what's going on. He says, be subject to your master in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not stealing on the side because that was a common thing, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Who will adorn it? The slaves. But everybody is meant to be urged to act this way so that you will adorn. What does adorn mean? It means to wear. 
that you wear, that, that, that you are covered with the doctrine of God. What's doctrine? Doctrine is what you've been taught. Doctrine is teaching. Sound doctrine is good teaching. But what you've learned, what you've been taught, that you don't just know it, you wear it. This is cool. Because I can tell you whether somebody is intellectually saved or really saved. You want to know how? They're intellectually saved, they'll tell you all the right answers. If they're really saved, they'll show you the right answers. They'll live the right answers. They'll be the answer. So a, a slave that gets born again and begins to act towards his master, who should not be his master, it is wrong, it is evil to make another man work for your bread. The scripture tells us this. It's, it's, it's stealing. It's, it's worse than that. And yet he says, they're wrong, but you can still be right. Here's how you do it. Overcome. Begin to treat them like, you'd, like you're working for Jesus. And in this way, you begin to wear what you've been taught. They don't have to ask you, what do you believe? It's all over you. You're adorning the doctrine of God. Our Savior, listen to these last three words, in every respect, which means that every part of your life, you're wearing what you know. You're wearing what you believe. You're wearing Jesus. Everywhere you go, as Paul said, everywhere we go, we are an fragrance, uh, sorry, aroma, a fragrant aroma of Christ to God. We leave a smell wherever we go. You wear who He is in every respect, which means there's no loopholes, there's no parts of your life that you say, yeah, but this is this part of my life. Every respect, you wear what you believe. You wear your faith. And I'm not talking about getting Christian t-shirts. I'm talking about wearing the gospel. It, it, it is such a part of your life that it's like the clothes you wear. People just look at you and they see it. This is possible. In verse 11. Now, now he says, this is what you're supposed to do, right? In a legalistic sense, you'd say, I better, I better do this. I better try harder. It does say to be urged to do it. So that means that it's not just going to happen to you. You have to decide to do it. But what does the next verse say? Four. Four is a connecting word, isn't it? The way you're going to do this, I'm going to tell you how. Because you say, how in the world would I do that? I'm not happy to serve this master. He shouldn't be my master. He's mean. He's cruel. How can I do this? Here's what he says. For, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. This is how you do it. The grace of God has appeared through Jesus Christ, bringing salvation to all men instructing us now this word instructing it it, it 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 means like a i mean it was basically used to talk about teaching a child raising a child in other words you're being retaught everything I mean, it's like it's like being a kid again the grace of god is teaching us how to live again we forgot how to live we don't know how to do it we're relearning life through Jesus Christ. He teaches us to do the most basic things in a new, fresh, and alive way. Isn't it cool to relearn life? How you used to do everything? I mean, it's almost like you can wash your hands in the anointing. I mean, it almost feels like that. When you begin to live in the life of God, it teaches us how to live in a way we did not know how to live. It instructs us 
to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. Sensibly means with a sound mind. Soberly is what the King James Version says. What does sober mean? You're not being affected by something else. A sound mind means you're not being shaken by other factors. You are sober, which means that your mind is exactly where it's supposed to be. You're not affected. You're not tilted. You're not thrown off. Sound mind. Soberly. Righteously. Oh, this means that you're living along the same standard that Jesus lived. You're living in such a way. Now remember, it's the grace of God that teaches us how to do this. But you're living sensibly with a sound mind. You're living righteously. It doesn't... Now there's, there's two things. There's being righteous because of Jesus, right? That's your position. The first time you got born again, you bowed your knee. You, you were a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. You got born again. You were no longer a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner. You were righteous in His eyes. Right? But there's one thing to be righteous. And when you are righteous, you begin to live righteously. There are people that are going to heaven that aren't living righteously. This is something that, that according to this book, teaching helps us to do, but the grace of God enables us to do. And it teaches us how to deny, instructing us, instructing, if you've been instructed by the grace of God, to deny ungodliness, to say, not me anymore. Dirty, rotten cretins, I'm not going near it worldly desires come on guys this means that some of the things you used to like the grace of God teaches you not to like anymore and to live soberly sober is not boring come visit us at the word church and find out sober is not boring I've never been drunk a day in my life never touched it and I've had more fun than I think most people have in a life I like life. I love it. Because I love what Jesus is doing. And it's a good time. Soberly just means that you're not thrown off, that your brain isn't handicapped. And I'm not talking about being mentally handicapped like somebody who's born with a disability. I'm talking about the handicap of throwing it off with other substances. And that doesn't just mean alcohol and drugs. That means other things that people are saying. That means emotional stuff. That means that your brain is not operating at full capacity here because you've let it be thrown off by other things. Oh, I'm telling you, somebody that's born with a mental disability, Jesus can use. Jesus can make them confound the wise. 1 Corinthians 1 says that. He'll take the people that the world didn't give account for and he'll make them stand up on a, a platform, put them on a pyramid and say, look, look at them. Look at what they're doing. They don't need to have the same IQ to be used by God. But I'm talking about people living with a sound mind righteously. And here, here's where the, the big one comes in. It's in small letters, but it's big. Godly. Godly. This means more than doing not doing bad things. Righteously means that you're doing right things. You're not, you're not partaking in evil. You're doing good. But godly is another thing. Godly means having the nature, the essence of God himself. Mere mortals cannot be godly unless God has injected them with himself. You can't be godly. I mean, if you're trying to be godly, you'd be a fool. If you didn't, I mean, if on guys what would happen if you started acting like you were some sort of God 
and you're just a normal person. People would laugh at you. You'd fail at everything you did. But if God has given you himself, put himself into you, you can live godly. You can live righteously. You can live with a sound mind. This is the grace of God working in our life. Instructing us. Now, to be instructed, you've got to listen, right? To be instructed, you have to obey. So I see this is two parts to it. God's doing the work, but you're letting Him do the work. You're, a, you're giving Him permission to work in you. You're saying, yes, Lord, which gives Him an open door to work in your life. This is where people get in either ditch. They'll say, well, God, God will do it no matter what you do. And other people will say, you just have to try as hard as you can. I don't like either of those ditches. You know what? God says you have to listen. You have to obey. He says to, to, Paul, or to Titus, urge people to do this. If God was just going to use you like a puppet, throw you around, do whatever He wanted to do with you, you wouldn't have to be urged to do anything. You'd be a slave. You'd just be, you know, manipulated. But you have to be urged. You have to be taught. You have to make up your mind. But when you do, you don't have to do all this work. He does all this work in you. He's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the strength, the grace, the anointing. You don't have to do this in your own strength. You couldn't do it in your own strength. Remember where they are. Amongst a culture of liars, lazy gluttons, and evil beasts. And he says, you can live sensibly, righteously, and godly. When? In the present age. In the present, wicked, perverted, corrupted age, you can be different. As Paul said to the church in Philippi, you can be lights, stars in a perverted and corrupted world. Stars is what you are. You are shining to them, showing them light in the middle of darkness. Thank God. He's teaching us how to live all over again. Grace has taught us how to live in a totally different way. But you have to say, okay, yes, Lord. I'll be instructed. I will be a good student. I'll be a good pupil. I'll do what you say, and you'll do the work. Now looking, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, before we go into the next part, I, I want to mention something. Sometime do a study in your Bible and find out. Here's what's interesting. If you do a study in your Bible, you'll find out that living in a way that pleases the Lord and looking forward to His coming are so often tied together in the New Testament. Very often. In fact, almost every time He talks about looking towards the coming of Jesus, He ties it to how you're living in this, this earth. So people that are looking for Jesus, aren't, they're not staying in a warehouse waiting for Him to come. They're doing what Jesus said, when I come back, will I find you working? Will I find my people doing what I left them doing? People that are looking for Jesus, people are waiting for His second coming, people that are excited about His return, who in another scripture it says, who've loved His coming, these are the people that are going to be living righteously, godly and sensibly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. He gave the greatest thing you could ever give, yourself. He gave his own life. 
everything he was. He laid down the robes of deity. He laid it down everything he was as God became son of God, son of man at the same time. Took on skin when he didn't have to take on skin. Took on punishment when he didn't have to take on punishment. Took on temptation when he didn't have to take on temptation. And worse than all, took on sin when he did nothing to deserve it. And the punishment of that sin. Every sickness, every disease, every sin. Took separation from the Father, which he had never experienced. He did this. Why? To redeem us. To buy us back from every lawless deed. This means two things to me. This means that he redeemed you from the punishment of those lawless deeds and the control of those lawless deeds. You're not going to have to pay for those deeds that you did. You're, not, you're also not going to have to do them anymore. To be bought back means you're not a slave anymore. Right? right. You are no longer a slave. Which means that you are forgiven for the sin that you've done. You're forgiven for the sin you will do. But you're also redeemed so you don't have to do it anymore. Because a sinner can't help but sin until he's born again. Then he's bought back. Redeemed. No longer a slave. I love this. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Isn't that awesome? What did he have to do? Purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. Now, now this is an awesome verse, but look at the beginning of it. The beginning says, who gave himself for us in order to redeem us from every lawless deed. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds, right? So all of this is tied to His work redeeming us, to giving Himself for us. That's all tied to that. So because He gave Himself for us, we now have the right to be purified through Him. We now have the right to be zealous. Your zeal comes as a result of His work. This is cool because this means that I don't just have to stir it up with fast music. I don't just have to, you know, pray in tongues for, for 10 hours and then I'll get some zeal. I can say, Lord, you gave yourself so that I would be zealous. And that word zealous, praise the Lord, is so powerful. I mean, even the original word, the root of that word means to boil over in heat. You look it up in your concordance, it says to burn with zeal. I mean, to be boiled up, to be burned up, to be on fire for good deeds. This is, this is not talking about people. This is not talking about people that say we should probably do some good deeds. The world isn't seeing Jesus. We need to probably show them Jesus. Come on, guys, rile yourselves up. Let's do some good things for Jesus. He did so much for us. No, this is talking about a people that are boiling over with zeal to do these good deeds. Try to stop me from doing them. I mean, I dare you. Try to hold me back. You can't do it. I am on fire to do these things. Not just on fire for Jesus in a sense of, yes, I really love Him and I really care for Him, but burning with zeal to do the works of Jesus Christ. This means that no power on earth, in hell, or in the heavenly realm can stop you from doing the work of Jesus because He gave Himself up to purify you. And when you're purified, when you're purified, you're a people that He possesses and you're enabled because you're a pure vessel, 
because it's burned all that other junk away. You're burning up with zeal to do the things he told you to do. You're burning up with zeal to do the things he did. You're burning up with zeal for good deeds, zealous for good deeds. Not feeling like you have to do good deeds, but saying, I can't help but do them. It's everything to me to be Jesus in this world, to be his ambassador, to be his son, to be his friend. Praise God. Now, if you don't feel that zeal, I'm not telling you you're not born again. I'm just telling you, you need to say, Lord, you've already paid the price for me to be zealous. Purify me as a vessel that I may be used, that I can go out and reach the world. I am your possession. I'm yours. And I'm tired of being the, the vessel that sits on the shelf that everybody looks at and says, well, that's pretty. I want to be the vessel that pours out water to the dying man. I want to be vessel that pours the anointing on the wounds. I want to be the vessel that pours out your glory on a wicked and perverse generation that may see who you are. That's what I want to be. Be zealous, burning for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove. What does this mean? This means sometimes you'll forget, or people will forget. I'm not telling you you'll forget. Sometimes people will forget these things, and they'll begin to go back to their old ways. Why? Because they're sinners? No. Because they're surrounded by sinners, and they just feel like, well, okay. They get swept up in the tide. They're no longer, I mean, this is like a butterfly hanging out with caterpillars. It's weird. I'm not saying you can't hang out with unbelievers. I'm saying you affect them. They shouldn't affect you. They start to affect you, get new friends. If, they, if they're not accepting what you're saying, and you're starting to accept what they say, run. <laughs> right? This is negative. Because that's, that's, if you've truly preached the gospel to them, if you've truly shown them Jesus, well, this is a message for another time. You truly preached it. You truly shown it. They should have had the opportunity by this point to accept or reject it. Now, I know your family. You're praying for these people. You're praying for your old friends. You're praying for old family. Keep praying for them. But Jesus had multitudes. Then he had over, I mean, he had several disciples, lots of disciples, multitudes of disciples. Then he had 12. Then he had three special ones. Then he had the Father God. You have different levels of relationships. Not everybody's equal. You've got multitudes that you preach to, but then you've got people that minister to each other, people that build you up. Like I said, this is a thing for another time, but what we want to focus on is that he says in verse 15, some people will begin to drift, not because they are evil anymore. They're not evil anymore. Not because they are sinners. Now they've been made righteous, but because... They begin to drift into what's easy, following the culture again. The current of culture sweeps us away when we're not pressing into the things of God. You just begin to do what everybody else does. Watch the movies everybody else watches. Work at your job for the same reason everyone else works at the job, to get more money, instead of doing it as under the Lord. So what does he say? What's the job of the preacher? Speak, exhort, and reprove. Which means I'm supposed to preach it to you. I'm supposed to teach it to you. And encourage you. And at times come back and say, 
You're doing it wrong. Let's try again, buddy. Don't reject the Lord's correction, but embrace it as a gift of love. Let no one disregard you. Can you imagine young Titus? He's like, no, 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 no. You don't just preach it. You don't just encourage them. You don't just reprove them. But don't let anyone disregard you. Means if they if they start wandering off and they're not listening to what you say, you grab them, you pull them back and say, you didn't hear me. Let me go over the list again. He gave himself for you. He gave himself up for you to purify, to redeem you from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, so that we be zealous for good deeds. Did you get that? And if their eyes start to wander, repeat it again. Because you love them. Because you want this person to be a conqueror, more than a conqueror, to be a victor in Christ. And you're tired of seeing them waste their life because you don't want to see them cry on Judgment Day and say, I'm going to heaven, but i got nothing to show for it. You want to say, listen, friends, you want to get a good, well done, good and faithful servant? Just let God work through you. That's all you got to do. I'm not telling you to go and, and, and you know trained to be an Olympic athlete, although the Scripture says that training is good for you. It says an athlete trains, you should be disciplined too. But I'm not telling you that you should go and just, and you know, spend every day feeling guilty and condemned. Far be it, because that'll keep you down and that'll keep you further from the truth. But if you'll say, yes, Lord, you've given, you gave yourself up for me to redeem me, to buy me back from that stuff, to buy me back to buy me out of that culture, why would I go back? And if I'm not feeling that zeal, if I'm feeling like I'm doing stuff because I have to do it, you go back and you say, Lord, I hear you. I, I, I was born to be zealous. I was reborn to be on fire, to, to zealously want to do these things, not just feel like I have to, but really desire them. Remember, in Philippians, it says it's God that's at work in you both to will and to do, which means sometimes we cut them out of half of that and we think God will help me do it even though I don't want to do it. But he says God's at work with you to put the will in you to do it so that you'll desire it. But this is a barometer of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the more, remember... When He purifies you for His own possession, in other words, He draws you near, cleanses you of the stuff that's not of Him, fills you with Him, you become like Him. Right? So this is a, this is a test of where your relationship with Jesus is at because the closer you get to Him, the more you want to be like Him. The further you get, the, more it's, the harder it gets to be like Him and the more you don't really want to be like Him. Because being like him sounds like work until you get near him and you realize he wants to do it through you. So what do you do? You draw near to God. You say, Lord, you've paid every price for me to be zealous. You've paid every price for me to be pure. You've paid every price for me to be redeemed from this junk. I, I claim that right. And I draw near to you through your blood and I come to you for grace, mercy, and help in my time of need. And you've promised you'll give it. Zealous for every good deed. Turn to Romans 13. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, come on. John 1 says, of his fullness. And he's talking about Jesus. Of his fullness. That means everything he is, we have all received. 
and grace upon grace. Grace is tied to you receiving everything He is. To being like Jesus. It is not just a giant band-aid that covers up your mistakes. It is the ability of Jesus working through you, empowering you to be like Him. I heard a preacher the other day say this. Say if a golfer, you're, you're just an amateur golfer, you're a Lloyd Minster golfer, weekend golfer. You go to Rolling Greens. So it means you might be good, but you're not going PGA anytime soon. Somebody said, I'm going to inject you. Would you like me to inject you with all the golfing ability of Tiger Woods? You don't get the other stuff. <laughs> Just the golfing ability. What would you say? Yeah. Give me some of that. This is going to be a fun game. Somebody says, you're, you're a hockey player. I'm going to inject you with, you know... Everything the NHL, every, everybody that played the NHL All-Star Game, I can give you the fullness of what they have. Yeah. Come on, load it up. Here Jesus says, I have granted you, here's what I want to give you, the fullness of everything I am. You think being a believer is hard? Get full of Jesus. And you, beca- you, you, you say, this is my nature now. If you're full of Jesus, that's your nature to be this way. This is your zeal to be this way. It's your passion. It's your greatest desire is to be like Him. In Romans chapter 13, he, does, he gives some teaching very similar to what he said to Titus. He tells people to be subject to governments, to pay their taxes. Why? Because you are preaching the gospel through your life. And that tax collector, that government official, needs to see that Jesus is working even when they're corrupt, even when they're evil. Those believers repay evil with good and overcome it. He says this. In verse, let's start in verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For our only debt should be love. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover it. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Simply true, right? You love your neighbor, you're not going to sleep with his wife. You love your neighbor, you're not going to kill him. You love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him, right? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said the same thing. Do this. Knowing the time. Did you hear that? He said, do this. What? He gave you a whole list of instructions in Romans 12. Of how you act. And he says, do this knowing the time. That it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. What a great, what a great sentence. What a great thought. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Now he's speaking to the church, isn't he? Come on, this is to the church. It is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Once again, he's talk, once again bringing to mind the second coming of Jesus. Because how you live in this earth is tied to how much you love, expect, looking forward to His return. And here's what he says. The night is almost gone and the day is near. 
Therefore, let us lay aside. That's your work, right? Lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on. That's your work too. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. In other words, while you walk in a world of darkness, it's like a a beam of sunshine is following you wherever you go. In fact, emanating from you. Let us walk as in the day. Isn't that, isn't that strange? Can you imagine? Have you ever seen movies where, uh, you know, the, the lights are killed, it's completely dark, and then special forces come in with those night vision goggles, and they're running as fast as they can, but people in the darkness are kind of watching where they're... I mean, you ever see kind of watched somebody whose eyes hadn't adjusted to the darkness and they're walking around they're tripping over things but somebody with night vision goggles they move into that place and they're they're moving around and they're running and they're, they're there's no there's no uh fear there's no stumbling they're just going in well night vision goggles can't compare to the light you walk in so he says they're walking in the darkness as people who have no vision they're stumbling into stuff they're tripping over things but you are in the day. Walk like you're in the day. You know, what you got is a bunch of believers where, where, where unbelievers are going around they're, and they're, they're, they're feeling like this. And then you got believers go, I guess that's what everybody else is doing. And they can see perfectly, but they walk into a lit room and they're walking around like, you know, like this, stumbling and prodding along because everybody else is doing it. He says, you're in the day. Walk like you're in the day. Walk upright. Walk with purpose. Walk with vision. Walk towards what I put in front of your face. You're not in the darkness. Don't act like you are. Walk is in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. Not in strife and jealousy. Listen to this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to that. He doesn't say, put on your best suit. He doesn't say, put on your your nicest outfit. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember he said you're supposed to wear that doctrine? Now he's saying you're supposed to wear Jesus Himself. Put Him on. Put on His nature. Put on His ability. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You put on Jesus Christ and you make no provision for the flesh. The flesh no longer rules you. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. You're a son and daughter of the King. You no longer have to do what the flesh tells you to do. In fact, give it no place. When it says, I want to do this, you say, no. Because every place I let you in is a place where Jesus is not filling. And I want to be full. I want to put Him on like a garment. I want to wear my beliefs. This doesn't mean you go around like a know-it-all telling everybody what you... This means that you show them... I mean, they hear, they, they, they hear a sermon by just looking at the way you live. Your entire training in this church, every Sunday morning, Wednesday night sermon, is being preached through your life. It's not being preached by you just passing out CDs. It's being preached by you living out what you learned that service or what you read in your Bible at home and the Holy Spirit taught you because the Scripture says the Holy Spirit, the anointing, is your teacher. So what does this mean? Put them on. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armors of light, armor of light and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Because the day 
is near. The night is almost gone. The time is coming. It is now time for us to awaken from sleep and to put on the armor of light. People who are walking in light walk with purpose. People who walk in darkness stumble across, stumble from the, just to the next thing they stumble across. It's pure chance what they come across. People walking in darkness will hit whatever's in front of them. People who are walking in light will go exactly where they want to go, exactly where they mean to go, exactly where they should go. If I want to go to the back door, I choose one of these aisles and I walk straight back. I don't have to run into chairs. I don't have to feel walls. I don't have to say, Marco, Polo. I just walk back and go through. Put on the armor of light. It is time for the church to awaken from sleep. Adorn your doctrine. Be zealous. Boiling over with fire for good deeds that you are so intently intently excited and zealous for the work of the Lord that nothing can stop you no longer do you have to have somebody say please help us really try to do it now you just have to I mean people can say to you you can't do that you shouldn't do that and you say try to stop me no one can stop me I'm on fire you can't quench me you can't stop me you can't you can't keep me from doing what Jesus called me to do just try and that's what the scripture has instructed us to do but that's what the grace of God has empowered us to do. And that grace has instructed us. Will you be disciplined and discipled according to the grace of God? Will you use grace as nothing more than a band-aid to cover your boo-boo? Or will you use grace as an empowerment to be like the one who set you free? His very fullness imparted and just dwelling on the inside of you grace upon grace of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace would you stand